When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It absolutely fucking terrified me, that scene, because literally, I mean, it's the one film, it's spectacular in the big screen, don't get me wrong, but it's the one film that I would genuinely recommend people watch on a laptop in their bedrooms, because once that scene in the, <laughs> with the bedsheet hits, it's just it's the perfect setting to be absolutely terrified by your own duvet i think kids in horror film i mean i quite like them i think they're a good addition but i know not everyone does i mean i just generally find kids creepy so their presence in general <laughs> just creeps me out <laughs> hello film fans joining us today we have anna hello mike hello and as always, Kobe. Hello. And we're here to review Under the Shadow. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello and welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Anna and Mike. If you would like to say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. I'm Anna. I'm a freelance film programmer, film writer and podcaster. I'm the co-founder of The Final Girls, which is a horror film collective that explores the intersections between horror and feminism. I host The Final Girls podcast and co-host The Next Supremes, an American horror story rewatch podcast. Nice. So what is it about American Horror Story that you, you feel needs to have a new podcast? What doesn't it have? It's got literally all the things that I love. Gruesome, grisly, gory horror. Uh, high camp. Jessica Lang, uh, Aliens, nuns. <laughs> old Hollywood. Lady Gaga. Uh, a lot of Matt Bomer and Finn Woodrock. Evan Peters everywhere. Random appearances by Stevie Nicks and Patti LuPone. I mean, what's not to love? I, I can see you've thought about this a lot. Hence why you're doing a podcast. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of what I imagine it to be like inside Anna's brain, actually. Yeah. One of those things she just said. Pretty yeah. much. <laughs> so I've got a question for Anna. So um, being a female film fan, do you find like now that obviously I kind of like podcasts exist more, that it's more acceptable for females to be into horror? Because I always found that when I was growing up, like girls were never allowed to like horror and it seemed to be a lot harder to find female horror fans. I don't know if that was the same for you. Uh, totally was the same for me. And it's actually one of the motivations for 
my friend Olivia and I to have set up the final goals about four years ago now. It's to create spaces that were inclusive and not fall into the trappings of not just horror fans, but film fans in general can, you know, it's semi-affectionately what I call film bros, which tend to have a very particular take on film love and cinephilia. You know, that's kind of, it's the same thing, basically. But, you know, it's kind of competitive list making and trying to test other people on their knowledge or thinking that somehow they deserve the space to be fans of a particular genre or film more than others. And um, I kind of think that's bullshit. And it's a thing that anybody can love. And if you're particularly drawn towards horror or particular types of horror as well, because it's not a uniform genre, then you tell you just watch everything yeah of course there's different types <laughs> so i mean speaking of horror and the evolution of horror who, who are you sir Hello, uh, I'm Mike. I am a TV and video producer. I currently produce the uh, BBC's Inside Cinema Strand on iPlayer. And I also, as you alluded to, uh, present the Evolution of Horror podcast. So talk about that, guys. Uh, Mike, sorry. Tell us about the, you know, the background and why, why you started the show uh, and why horror works for you as the, as the Johnny wants to, to, uh, to double down on. Oh god, it's really hard to answer that. I don't know. I have loved horror my whole life. Um it's really hard to know why. I think I just love that catharsis, that kind of roller coaster thrill that you get from horror. That kind of experiencing fear and danger and all the stuff that you get in horror, but in a kind of safe space. It's sometimes the most fun genre to watch with audiences and with friends and on your own. Um I just love it. I love all horror. Uh, from any era and any subgenre, and that's why I started the podcast because um, I think there is actually a lot of horror fans out there, and ones that I just weren't aware, wasn't necessarily aware of. And starting a podcast uh, in which I'm joined by a different guest every single episode, I suddenly started to realise how many people in my life and how many people I met were also obsessed with horror and wanted to talk about horror. Uh, so the podcast kind of looks at as the title suggests it looks at the sort of evolution and history of the genre from sort of early cinema and universal monsters in the 30s all the way through to now um and i'm joined by a different guest every week to talk about a different film uh, and anna of course is probably the most frequent guest we've discussed a whole bunch of films together one of the things i love about um lots and lots of different podcasts is when different podcasts talk about the same film and recently i was listening to episodes from both of your shows talking about the invisible man uh, and you both had Lee Waddell on, didn't you? Yeah. Talking about that. <laughs> we we even both saw each other, like Anna was coming out of the interview room as I was going in. So we like <laughs> high-fived each other as that interview was happening. <laughs> it's like, is this for your show? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> but I love how different people talk. Yeah, you, you, you have different opinions on how, um, what's good and what different takes on the podcast. So if there's a film I want to get under the skin more because Empire did a, um, a sport special then listen to your guys episodes about it uh, I think if you're really into a film there's no better time to be listening to podcasts and listening to all these different media about about things I guess yeah I definitely guess. I yeah. think when I when I watch a film that I love I love listening to all of my favorite podcasts discuss it and you're right like even if it's multiple podcasts all discussing the same film I kind of love hearing all the different takes on it yeah me too and even when there's 
uh, particular show as well that's airing. Like I used to do this with Game of Thrones as well. I'd listen to maybe about three or four different podcasts, analyze every single episode. Yeah, and same with Westworld too. Yeah. Now's a prime time to be a geek. Um, so we're talking today about Under the Shadow, which is your choice, Anna. Yes, it is. Can you tell us, uh, first of all, why you chose it? And secondly, a synopsis in one minute or less. Uh, well, I chose it because I actually programmed this film uh, just before it was released in the UK. So this is back in 2016 in, uh, in a previous job I had. And I haven't revisited it since. So... I thought it would be a really good opportunity to watch it again. And I've recommended it over the years uh, to almost anyone I've spoken to. And I've been I've had the pleasure of interviewing its director, Babak Anvari, uh, several times. So it's just a lovely film to go back to. Well, lovely may not be the right word, but we'll see. <laughs> so when, when you say program, what, what was it for a festival and why did you feel is uh, worthy of inclusion for that festival? Uh, it wasn't for a festival. It was uh, a I programmed it for the BFI when I was programming for the regular Cinematheque program at BFI South Bank, and it was with a post screening Q and A with Babak and uh, the leading actress of the film as well. And it was just uh, before just before release. So this film was screened at Fright Fest that year. So that would have been August. And I think it was released late August 2016. So it was around that time that I screened it too. And to be honest, because I was trying really hard to bring uh, more genre into the wider program when I was working there. And I thought there was this, this was an exceptional film that worked very well for both... Um, genre and non-genre audiences and i thought what better place to be able to screen it than the bfi's nft1 screen so what um can you give us the synopsis in one minute yes so this is a film set in war-torn tehran in the 1980s and it follows a mother and her daughter who are both struggling to cope with the realities of a war-torn city and a constant the constant threat of bombing and um war erupting on their doorstep and also a mysterious evil that begins to haunt their house have you guys seen a film called For Summer. Yes. Uh, yes. That is one of the reasons why I love this film so much because uh, it, in some ways it's quite a traditional haunted house horror film. But I think the setting, the time and place in sort of 80s Tehran, war-torn Tehran, means that there is, like you said, there's as much danger outside of this building as there is within it. Um, and I love that about it. There, there's this feeling that I kind of um, I completely get behind this character, this main character, this woman who is so desperate to to stay in her home because she knows that it can be just as dangerous or just as difficult for her out there. Um, which is a great reason for her staying in this haunted building as well. You know, it's it's always a problem with horror films where you're like, well, why wouldn't you just leave, just get the hell out of there? But this film kind of solves that problem in some ways. Do you think it does that? Because I I that was my main kind of thing through this film was like. Can you not just go? I mean, she could have, obviously there's the thing about the doll, which kind of makes her and the daughter feel they need to be based there. But there was a, a, a point earlier on where they could have gone quite early on, I would have thought, before it all 
the supernatural element came into play so much. Anna, you're nodding. Yeah, well, I think I think that's a fair point, but that has to go back to the nature of the characters as well. Like when we first meet her, she's very headstrong, very stubborn, almost about staying put. You know, this uh, her husband is stationed elsewhere in another city and she has the opportunity to go with him, but she chooses not to. And, you know, the whole film is as much of a haunted house film as much as it is a woman who's haunted and needs to go on a journey of understanding her own limitations and when <laughs> sorry my cat just jumped over me I would not get off um, it's also her own journey of coming to terms with the limitations of what she can do how far she can go to protect her space and also letting go of things you know she has to let go of her dream of becoming a doctor. She has to let go of the protection of her house. She has to let go of kind of this sense of grief and shame that she's holding on to throughout the entire film. And so actually, I think there, I completely understand why she would not leave when she had the chance. And she's, she's a very kind of, um, grounded person like she's not going to believe in horror stories or fairy tales or superstitions you know we learn from the very first scene that she was a medical student that she's politically active uh that she's very very headstrong so obviously when her neighbor or her neighbor's uh kid and her daughter start muttering about the gin or a haunting of some sort she completely brushes that off this is this is nonsense to her so you know it takes her a while to believe the situation that she encounters herself in and this is such a classic trope as well of haunted house films you know the people who are at the center of these stories never believe the supernatural things that are going on until it is literally slapping him in the face. It's quite it's quite a shock when that when that arrives. The uh, the, the, the lady, as they kind of re- refer to, is kind of uh, a yeah. oh shit that's that's really creepy. It's like Helen Helen's like Helen's got ignore what I'm going to say Helen. What are your thoughts on the creepiness of the well, of the film generally? So. Um... I really wanted to like this a lot more than I actually did, and I can't quite put my finger on it because I, I really like the the kind of the ideas behind it, and you do really feel for is it Sida? Um, mm. Basically, she's Sida. just kind of like being being oppressed by everything. She's being oppressed by the neighbours for leaving the gate. She's being oppressed by people on the street for not covering her hair. She's being oppressed by her own child. She's being oppressed by the war. She's having to hide her her Jane Fonda. Um, So I I kind of really, really, really feel for her. And you could just feel like, you know, she's going through this like entire personal pressure. And then there's an entire war going on around her as well. So I really, really like that. But when I was watching it, I just couldn't get out of my head that this is sort of like the Babadook, but just not quite as affecting for me. And like the two films are very, very kind of similar in um, this, their sort of situation. So there's a lot that I really, really liked about it. And I, I really liked the the two main performances in particular, um, Dorsa, the little girl. But I don't know, I just, I didn't love it as much as I really wanted to. No, I, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not so down on this film. Um, I think it's. 
I love the fact it was set in this kind of it had this setting in uh, Tehran through the Iran Iraq conflict. Um, that, that just, I was just like, just leave, just go. But the thing is, like, <sighs> also, you, I, th- I got the reason. Maybe one of the reasons she didn't want to go is that a she's been then being controlled by her husband telling her what to do and we've already established that she's her very much her own person and then mm-hmm. also like the in-laws must be really terrible or the kind of the alternative is kind of worse than what it is now maybe so yeah. uh, and also it's if she left then there wouldn't be a film so the the fact that she doesn't <laughs> leave instantly or, or take the easy kind of route out um you know, because there's, you know, in certain horror films, there's like weird shit happening in the house, and the weird shit happens, and they go, right, we're going to move. So they amazingly are able to find a new place within like days, pack an entire house up in like half a day, and move into a new house. But then the scary thing still follows them there anyway, um, and it makes the film. So it it wasn't that. I, I all in I had was that by doing that, she's kind of like taking the easy route out, which she doesn't because she's really strong. She's a having to kind of like. Be controlled by her husband and that the in-laws are probably not the place she wants to be right now but then you know the part above them's got a massive missile stuck in it so for me that'd be like oh yeah. i love that yeah <laughs> oh I, I i see i just i think it's so um i think it does such a good job of of, of explaining why she wouldn't want to leave her flat her flat is like her little safe bubble mm. where she can be herself and she can wear what she wants to wear and she can watch her Jane Fonda tapes and she she can be free, sure. I suppose. She can be the woman she wants to be and there's nowhere else she can do that. And uh, and, and I love, and you're right though, I think it is uh, similar to The Babadook in a lot of ways. I think on my podcast, we actually did them back to back. We talked about The Babadook and Under the Shadow together because they have quite a lot of the same themes, but it also is quite a lot like... Um, movies like Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone which is again has that missile bomb like in the center of it mm. uh, and uh, sort of causing the drama and I think like that film it's kind of as much a political story as it is a personal story as well so I think compared to The Babadook it's got more going on as well I think it's got uh, obviously like a heavy sort of political side as well um and i think it juggles all of that really well i think that's such a great comparison actually comparing it to pan's labyrinth because i think with the babadook like it's i could totally see back, the the mother mm, oh the devil's backbone but also pan's labyrinth which is also both. yeah yeah yeah, sorry, I misheard you there. But both Guillermo del Toro films and both quite similar in a sense because comparing it to The Babadook, I think, is is a good comparison because it deals with kind of with motherhood and the pressures of motherhood and almost a sense of shame over being a bad mother or being seen as a bad mother. But this one is such a political story, like like Mike was telling you, the same way as The Devil's Backbone or Pan's Labyrinth. You can also s- almost see them as like horror realism to a degree, where they're using horror and the fantastical to talk about a very specific moment in a very specific time and place of history. And, you know, even the way that it opens and for, I want to say, the first half of the film you could read this as a a political uh, drama in a sense. You know, you've got the backdrop of this mm. Iraq-Iran conflict. You've got the constant threat of what's going on outside. You've got the 
the internal domestic drama and then it pivots to being a horror film you know I mean it is always a horror film but it also asks us to understand the context within within which it's happening which I think kind of really elevates the film you know if this there's been other horror films made about uh the mythology of the jinn but you know most of them have been like quite lowbrow b movies and this just kind of takes the best of dramatic politically driven cinema and the best of haunted house horrors and the best of kind of really uh self-contained uh human dramas and combines them all into this this big mishmash and i kind of almost again that sort of goes back to this idea of why did why doesn't she just leave well there's so many reasons why she can't just leave and actually kind of watching this film now in isolation because of what's going on in the outside i'm like oh my god this is the perfect <laughs> film to rewatch now because yeah of course we could just leave but we can't that's the no. whole thing yeah and what do you make of the the kind of the jinn the um, kind of mythology there, the, this kind of ghost creature. How did that work with you compared to other kind of ghosts in that or monster in the house um, stories? I really liked it because I think, again, it felt more authentic to this setting mm. and this place and this culture. Um, I don't think it gives you a, a, an abundance of information about the jinn and, and exactly what they are and what they do and how but i think that's fine like it, it, we don't have to know too much we just have to know that it's this malevolent force or whatever um so it, in in other words it kind of ticks many of the same boxes as the classic gothic ghost stories really but again it, it's so specific to this time and place so i think that really worked in that way yeah i thought um when I when you see the figure fully for the first time, it was for me like Babadook. But there were quite a few shocking moments, like when she goes into the bed, she's not sure whether Dorset is the Dorset that's outside with her down the stairs, or she hears Dorset in the in the room, and she goes into the bed, and it turns into a a mouth face creature, which that was like, oh shit, that's that's a bit harsh. Um, so it did go it did go full on supernatural. Um, which I wasn't, I wasn't really expecting. I thought it was just going to be a, more like a creepy thing uh, set in the wall. Um, okay. Anna. Um, no, I, I love that. In fact, the first time I watched this film uh, was on a screener and on my laptop and I watched it in my bed and it absolutely fucking terrified <laughs> me, that scene, because literally, <laughs> I mean, it's the one film... It's spectacular in the big screen, don't get me wrong, but it's the one film that I would genuinely recommend people watch on a laptop in their bedrooms because once that scene in the <laughs> with the bed sheet hits, it's just it's the perfect setting to be absolutely terrified by your own duvet. Oh my god. And it's also got one of the best jump scares as well. Um I actually I had back the director, I know Anna, we've both mm. met Babak and you've interviewed him a whole bunch of times, haven't you? I I had Babak Anvari on my podcast as well and I was asking him about how difficult it is to direct a really effective jump scare these days because he he had that amazing shot where she goes to the, the window and she looks out through the curtains and then the kind of hand comes through mm. or something bursts through the window and it's a dream, I think, but 
uh, it's a really clever kind of use of misdirection, the way the camera moves in the opposite direction to the way that she's going and stuff. But yeah, I think there's some really effective scares in a kind of classic horror mm-hmm. sense. And that's, again, we keep coming back to it, but that's what I love about it. It's it's classic vintage horror mixed with something really personal and political, I think, for this filmmaker. And what, what, what are your thoughts, guys, about the kids in horror films? Because I think Dorsa was a, was a great horror kid, plus um, her new acquaintance, I guess is the best way to describe it, who is mute, but not mute. Uh, Helen, you scary kids in horror. I mean, it's very fine line quite often between really annoying and uh, kind of believable and essential. Um, but I've really already said that, uh, you know, Dorsa's great in this. I think she um, manages to kind of convey that real confusion of there being kind of supernatural things happening around her that can't be controlled. And then mm. also that kind of fear that she's putting her trust in her mother, protecting her and helping her. But she can also see that her mother doesn't quite understand what's going on and hasn't quite got the handle on it. So it's it's that kind of double fear of being a child and having those two things going on. Um, and yeah, I do like, I kind of wish there might have been a little bit more of the sort of... Um, slightly creepy next door kid who's mute but not mute <laughs> yeah he was great i think kids in horror film i mean i quite like them i think they're a good addition but i know not everyone does yeah i was gonna say like they, they can you know depending on the actor and the character you know some kids in horror can be irritating some can be really really creepy though i think in some of the best ever horror movies they are at their scariest because of their scary, creepy kids in mm. them as well. Um, but she's, I suppose that the little girl isn't so creepy in this. She's just really, really cute and you really want her to be okay. That's the thing. So I think that really, again, it adds to the kind of emotional impact of this yeah. film. Yeah. I mean, I just generally find kids creepy. So their presence in general <laughs> yeah. just creeps me out. <laughs> but yeah, I thought... So like Pixar films, really- you're just like, oh no. No, if they're animated, it's fine. They're cute because they look like cartoon characters. But uh, real ones, terrifying. But <laughs> Dorsa was super cute. But there was a couple of moments when I was rewatching this where I was like, "Ooh, is is this is this a little bit of clever misdirection where we're trying to for a minute think that maybe she's manifesting this gin or something like that like it started um mm-hmm. i started sort of spiraling thinking about an alternative reading of the film but i'm um, obviously no that's not the point of under the shadow but she does really well kind of and it reminded me of charlie in hereditary the way that we sort of really focus in on Dorsa in a way and you kind of don't really know whether she's going to be the source of the mayhem or the fear or whether she's kind of maybe holding on to something that is the thing that is causing all of this trouble or whether it's all in her head and she's making it up and it's her creepy friend so there's a lot of questions and you know it's a lot more simpler than that I think so but no she's a fantastic little kid uh, what did you guys make of the, of the magic uh, masking tape that could be used to hold the building together and uh create you know put a doll back together and and the windows i thought that was it seemed to be holding the whole roof at one point well it's like that that like gray what's that gray tape that appears in every single american film where they have to fix or tie duct tape yeah it's like that isn't it just in the 80s (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly 
and it and it works well enough but not well enough that you feel safe again <laughs> that's the point like this whole this whole building feels like it could just collapse at any moment and that's what's so good about it so she was literally just taping over the cracks just and that was enough to make her go okay this is fine this is fine (laughs) i don't actually understand it's fine for now i don't understand that bit where at the beginning when she tells her husband that the tape has been falling off the windows so i think it has i mean don't trust me i have no idea about diy or how anything works except movies but um when they put the x (laughs) on the windows in order to if they get shattered that Maybe that has something to do with it that they don't cut the glasses and go everywhere or maybe kind of makes the pieces bigger or something like that. So I I reckon there's a practical reason behind them putting that on the on the windows and stuff, which is a kind of a again, a a not a very specific moment, I guess, but that we're thankfully not aware of because we haven't lived through a war torn city. I think yet. 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 I do. I do. <laughs> I do love how we are now getting uh, more and more films from countries that we're not used to seeing films from. So Iran, Iraq, with the raid. Um, I can't remember was, was, it in, was it Indonesia. I can't remember where the raid was set. Um, but I'm happy. I'm super happy to see more and more films from uh, from outside of Europe and outside of uh, South America. What have you guys seen? Many films based in Iran or the Middle East or these kind of these kind of reasons um well this is a british film oh is it yeah it was actually the the uk selection uh submission to the academy awards what yeah well, i mean it's set in it's set in iran though it's, it's set, set in it's, iran it's in it is in farsi yeah. yeah but it is technically a british film but uh, okay. but I, I kind of I get your point and yeah I think it's fantastic I personally um, I'm not by any means an expert on Iranian cinema but I'm always extremely keen to watch films from regions that I'm not that familiar with and um, I'm kind of constantly learning and particularly really keen as well to see different interpretations of familiar horror stories or familiar horror tropes and um, mm. different folklore so you know kind of the the notion and the idea of the jinn and how um, that kind of the idea of a haunted house is also reinterpreted by someone, by a filmmaker who is Iranian born but um, British based uh, is also kind of an interesting amalgamation and kind of mix of different references and different points of view and cultural histories and cultural baggage that kind of makes what goes on screen so much more interesting for me as well yeah yeah, I think this this film has a really interesting balance of of kind of east meets west, I suppose, and it's it's got those kind of very familiar haunted house tropes that we all know and have seen, but it it just it comes to it in a different way and from a different background. Uh and that's really interesting. And like you say Anna, it is technically a British film, but obviously Babak and Anvari now lives in Britain but grew up in in Iran and grew up in this time and so it's very personal mm. to him as well. So and 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 I think it it really does bring those two sensibilities that I think this filmmaker has. I think it kind of was feels like the the central character was almost with not kind of wanting to cover her hair and watching the Jane Fonda is is kind of almost 
embodying sort of you know typical western kind of traits but is kind of trapped in that so I I thought that was kind of interesting but sort of generally it's great to see representation from anything on screen that isn't traditionally kind of white or you know American cinema so and it's also great that um, Netflix as a platform is, you know, having these films on there that we can access pretty much universally. Oh, I was just going to mention that Babak's next film, Wounds, is uh, was actually, I think, produced by Netflix. And it's on the platform now as well. So it's very different from Under the Shadow, but one to one, I would definitely people recommend check out if they want to continue watching his work. What was that one called? Sorry, did I miss what it was called? Wounds. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It stars Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson, so it's much more of a kind of it's got much more of a kind of Hollywood vibe, yeah. I suppose, but still his kind of creepy sensibility. It's like Reality Bites meets Lovecraft. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Cool. Nice. Thank you. Well, let's head to the scores. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Welcome to the spreadsheet of dreams where the uh, Flixwatcher scores are saved and protected for forevermore. Um, we start, as always, with the recommendability. And um, we'll go to you, Anna. So your recommendability, please, out of five. Oh, five. Totally. <laughs> I mean, yes, I've recommended this film to well, a lot of people. It. And I would. And I have programmed it. And I picked it for this. So, yes, 100% five. Uh, Mike. Uh, I would, I'm going to go very nearly, I'm going to go a 4.8. Shame (laughs) on you, Mike. Um, I love it. I know, I know. I love it. And I would recommend it to all. um, But I guess if you're you're a very hardened horror film, I suppose there are uh, a lot of tropes here that you'd have seen a lot in haunted house films. And um, sometimes I felt like I could see a lot of the scares coming and I think funnily enough I think the stuff I appreciated more was this stuff uh, that wasn't the traditional horror in some ways um, but uh, I still absolutely love it so it's, it's very nearly a 5 out of 5 for me Helen? Yeah so as I mentioned I really 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 wanted to love this but it just didn't quite connect with me and also I didn't I didn't find it scary and I thought the scene under the bed where it kind of turned into this thing with teeth was a bit like oh um i'm not quite sure what angle that went for me so and i think from there it lost a little bit of its kind of supernatural element um for me but that said i do think more people should see it um and i was doing a little bit of kind of like reading um different user reviews and interesting it's got like 99 percent on uh, rotten tomatoes so it's the audiences that it has reached seem to really, really love it. And I think mm. more people definitely need to see it. Um, so uh, I'm going to give it 
before because I do think more people should definitely see it um, even if I didn't quite get on with it myself. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four as well. Um, I think definitely get more people watching, more people watching films in, in different languages. And for me, I think the, the, the part I enjoyed a lot more was the the, con- the, the setting um, um, and the backdrop of it. And, you know, conflicts of of, uh, of her not wearing, wearing a headscarf when she's out, but also, um, you know, dancing to dancing and exercising to Jane Fonda is real. And one of my best friends growing up, um, he was Iranian, he, he came to the UK, couldn't speak uh, English when he first came here. And his, I remember his parents being super modern. And I just thought, oh, that's what people are. Um, people from Iran are, you know, they're not as oppressed as, oppressed is the wrong word, but they have a different outlook uh, in Iran to other Middle Eastern and uh, Muslim countries. So I think inside the house is a lot more free than than, uh, than other places. Um, so I, but I was really interested in that backdrop of the Tehran Iran, sorry, the Iran Iraq war. And I think I feel like I want to watch a film more on that than, the, than with the supernatural elements. But having said that, I think it's a really good film. I would recommend it to people who like horror and people who um, are up for something slightly different. Uh, so four, repeat viewing score, Mike. Repeat viewing score, that's a tricky one. I loved it, watching it again for this. I would give it a 4.5. Uh, I think you, maybe the impact of the jump scares is lessened a little bit when you watch it again, but I still think there's so much interesting stuff going on here, and I think the performances are so good, particularly by that lead actress. Um, and there's so much kind of inner conflict and turmoil, and actually I noticed and appreciated so much more watching it again. Uh, particularly within the sort of internal relationships and, and also just what Babak Anvari puts in the frame. Sometimes, you know, you'll just see things happening outside of a window in the background, like a bomb going off or whatever. Again, just kind of adding to that feeling that they are trapped in this place. Uh, so I, I got loads out of it watching it again. So, yeah. So 4.5. Sorry, I should have gone to Anna first. I apologise. Uh, Anna. Um, I, I'm going to give it a, a 4. Uh, because I think if you look at it as a straight up horror film, uh, it does, I think, lose some of its initial impact once you know what the, where the scares are. But I uh, completely agree with Mike. Uh, the lead performance by Narjas Rashidi is so fantastic. And it only once you're done with the horrific stuff, you can really focus and appreciate her performance um, on its own two feet and also kind of all of the the world building and everything Mm. that goes on outside the flat that is just hinted at the relationships her backstory there's a lot of details in the film uh that just really build up the human drama of it um and kind of a lot of really clever direction that you can appreciate once you are no if you're no longer scared if you know what i mean so i'd give it a four hello yes and i'm not probably not going to rush back and watch this again i would be interested to see um the the other one you mentioned wounds and see how how it kind of transfers into more of a, a an american setting the director's style um so uh go for a two i think repeat yeah 1.5 for me i'm not sure i'll, I'll watch it again um uh, but you know if it's on in the background, well, I can't because it's, I, I don't speak Farsi, so uh, I wouldn't be able to take as much out for if I'm not paying 100% attention. Uh, small screen score, Anna. I'm going to say five because, like I mentioned before, 
watch it on a laptop in your bed it's gonna creep you the fuck <laughs> out so much more than watching it in on your tv but you know i mean i think it's beautiful on the big screen as well but in terms of perfect settings for a particular scare in the in the film i'd say five have you ever like thrown your laptop or ipad when you've been scared or shocked has that ever happened to anyone here uh, I haven't thrown it, but I definitely did accidentally close it uh, during watching this film. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I lunged backwards from my laptop once watching, uh, I think it was Insidious, the first Insidious. The first time I watched that was on my laptop. And there are so many jump scares in that, that I, I, I one, one of them actually made me kind of, yeah, like leap backwards from my own laptop. <laughs> um, okay, Mike, small screen score. Uh, yeah, I agree with Anna. I, 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 I think this is a brilliant film to watch on the small screen. I would maybe knock off a, a couple of little points. I'd maybe say 4.5 again, okay. because there are a few shots, like the ones I talked about, where you can see things happening in the background in cities and stuff that I think are quite subtle. And sometimes that, that that's good to appreciate on a big screen. But then in other ways, it's so good to watch at home on your own, in in your home setting. Um, it's a great film to watch on lockdown, for example. <laughs> and uh, and also, to be honest, and, and I know Babak Anvari, the director, says this himself, it, it is a low-budget film, and some of the effects aren't maybe as good as what you might see in cinemas so again i think the small screen is more forgiving of that and actually works better for it so i think it's a great film to watch at home hello so not quite a laptop size but i i um watched this on ipad and i i had a great time with that um it's particularly when i like watching it with headphones in to get that sound all around me um so yeah it is also it kind of makes the horror very close up and personal when you have it in that kind of space. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go five. I enjoyed watching it on, on my small screen. Yeah, I'm going to go five as well. Um, I think I wouldn't catch this in the cinema. I think Netflix is a great place to, to, to watch this film. Uh, engagement score, Anna. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 4.5. Um, and I'm only knocking off that 0.5 because I know some people, I mean, not to be too <laughs> melodramatic, but some people are wrong about some things in this life. And one of those <laughs> things is people's refusal to watch anything with subtitles. Get over it. Yeah. Um, That's one of the so... <laughs> best things about Parasites. <laughs> yeah. More people will watch those films. Yeah. yeah, hopefully. Hopefully Parasite's massive success will get people, um, you know, to, to quote director Bong, um, to overcome the one inch barrier of subtitles. And, you know, this is a British film, like I mentioned before, but it is in Farsi. And it's, I would say that's the only kind of barrier for people who might be put off by the idea of watching a horror film that is subtitled. But I, I would just say to them, get over yourself, listen to director Bong, and just watch it. My, my, did anyone else's Netflix default to um, English overdub? Because I was watching for yeah. five minutes, and I was like. I was uh, yeah I was just about to say that and actually had a few people uh, that listen to my podcast and people that I know say to me like oh I've watched Under the Shadow and it's re- really annoying the dubbing and I was like what and when I checked on Netflix Netflix seems to automatically play the dubbed version mm. that you have to you have to switch over to subtitles which is really bizarre yeah that's weird 
and, and the voice of the that of the dubbed actor uh, that plays um, that portrays the lead character does not fit at all. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing because I didn't because I, I guess I didn't really notice the lips moving so much, but it was just a. She doesn't look like she makes that sound when she speaks. Is there something going on? <laughs> um, Mike, do you want engagement score? Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much exactly agree with with what Anna said. Really, I'd go four point five. I personally am, am more engaged with subtitled movies because you can't look away. Mm. You you have to keep watching the screen, and and it wasn't just because of the subtitles. It was because I was so engrossed in this film. Um, it really does engage me, and not just the horror, but all of the other stuff going on as well. So yeah, I, it was. I, I found it incredibly engaging. Helen. It's so bizarre with what you were saying about Netflix because it it didn't give me any option. I had the one with subtitles. It can only be some kind of preference if you... We've had this before with a couple of other things where you watched a dub version and I didn't even realise there was a dub version of a certain one. So that's really strange. So, I mean, obviously watch this with subtitles because how else are you going to get a a feel for the place and the characters Mm. and, you know so much personality can come through through someone's voice so please don't even begin to not watch this in the language it was recorded in um so yeah uh same with you i think 4.5 um kind of stuck with it and it is it's under 90 minutes so if you can't kind of be engaged you should you should be able to be engaged for that amount of time yeah, but people sometimes start what start googling straight away, don't they? So within five minutes, you can you can start googling. But I'm I'm on the I'm going to join a four point five class because it is uh, it's it's got subtitles, so you need to be. Um, and it, the story was good, and the, and the backdrop was good, and the setting was good uh, enough to keep you keep you through it, even though I wasn't fully uh, taken by the overall kind of story. So four point five that gives us an overall score of. Four point two zero six two five. Hefty, hefty, bigger than I thought it was going to be. Um, Anything over four is um, is a pretty high score. So we did ask Twitter to give their opinion. Um, we asked them to review Under the Shadow. So if you're listening for the first time, do follow us at Flips Watch a Pod on Twitter, and you can join in the fun next time we record uh, a show. And um, we had a few, we had a couple of responses. Um, Anna, do you want to take us through the first one? Sorry, I've got to switch it up. Sure, I do. Uh, so the f- I yes. think the first one was from the Countdown pod at the Countdown PC. Sure. Uh, and uh, they said, solid but overhyped horror film from a nation not known for making them. Three out of five. But you, you've, um, you've debunked that. It was from a, from a UK yeah, nation, so but it's in a different language. Sorry, I made you wrong on, on, on <laughs> both your opinions. and Mike Uh, let's have a look this one's from Chris Olden he says Under the Shadow is a creepy sometimes unsettling claustrophobic movie it's not scary though which was fine by me Uh, and then he gave it 4 out of 5 yeah I mean obviously whether or not you find something scary is completely subjective so I get that some people just don't find this film as scary as others Um, but he's pretty right about everything else yeah can you sign off, guys, by letting us know where we can find you online, your podcasts, your, your channels, the, the festivals you put on that can't come on, can't happen at the moment? 
Um, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Anna B. Demented. I host the Final Ghost podcast and the Next Supremes podcast. And it, when this is all over, I will get back to putting on Underwear Festival and more Final Ghost events. Awesome. Mike. Nice. Uh, yeah, I uh, am on Twitter at the Movie Mike, and I produce and host the Evolution of Horror podcast, uh, which you can find in all the normal places you find your podcasts. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys, for joining us, and thanks, uh, Anna, for choosing the film. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R O K K Wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production